Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Song Chronicles. Our special guest this week offers us a unique worldview. Susie Brown splits her time as a cardiologist, musician, and full-time mother. She's been finishing up her seventh album in Nashville, where she resides, happily married to Scott Sachs, her sometimes collaborator and videographer. Susie was predestined to follow in her parents' footsteps to become a doctor and didn't consider being a musician to be a potential career choice. Then, while pursuing a medical degree, she started performing purely for the love of it, joining an a cappella group in college, moonlighting in a production of Hair with other busy grad students, and fronting a cover band during residency. During her cardiology fellowship, she finally wrote her first song. Now, as a part-time Vanderbilt cardiologist and a full-time mom, Susie has to fiercely defend her creative time. Her newest record was made by stealing away the hours of 6 to 10 p.m. every evening with her producer, Billy Harvey, who lives down the street in Nashville. Everything is just so goddamn perfect when you're looking from the outside nobody's exactly what they seem you could be lost in this conversation in recorded in march 2021 Susie shares her insights for tapping into inspiration amidst an impossibly busy schedule. Did I say too much? Wrestling with perfectionism. Did I say enough? And how going to med school prepared her for adjusting to the new normal of living in a pandemic. Please enjoy this inspiring conversation with Susie Brown. Working on my masterpiece. Hi. Hey. You're having a brief moment of nobody's bothering you. Well, the kids are out in the living room, so we'll see how long it lasts. I've worked 11 days in a row, so I've had zero time for anything. Well, maybe we can talk a bit about all of that because that is unique to your life. Yeah. There are other people doing what you're doing, writing songs, making records, who have kids, but not quite in the same way you do because you have a lot of people that you have to take care of. Right. So <laughs> literal life depends on you. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I just worked. I had my rotation in the cardiac ICU. So I worked there for seven days and took phone calls at night about sick patients and potential offers we had for donor hearts and that kind of thing. And we were so busy. It was the busiest week in the ICU I've had. Just we're transplanting so many patients, which is wonderful. But And it was a great week. It just was really tiring. And then I went right into this week, which was just seeing patients in the office. But I still don't feel like I've really recovered yet. I get it. Why do you think that it's been such a busy time? Is it related to a higher death rate? Partly. 
No, it's true. And we're seeing more drug overdoses. There's a lot of meth use and heroin use. Uh, and that has definitely increased the donor pool, which is super sad and morbid. Also, Vanderbilt is doing some more experimental protocols that have expanded our donor pool, including we now take hearts from donors who have hepatitis C. We used to not do that because the recipient gets hepatitis C. But now there are treatments for hepatitis that are almost 100% effective, like pretty much 100% effective. So we take the hearts from these hepatitis C positive donors and then we treat the recipient for hepatitis C. That's interesting. Because the people who have brain death at a young age, in other words, the people who can donate hearts, they generally have high risk behaviors. That doesn't happen to most people. So it's a lot of drug users and that kind of things. Not all, obviously, but hepatitis C is pretty prevalent among donors. So that has really expanded our donor pool quite a bit. Wow. And then there are other like crazy experimental things which have been working really well and have also expanded our donor pool. To some very grateful recipients of those hearts. Yes. These are hearts that would have gone in a trash can and they're perfectly good. So it's great. It's been really exciting. Amazing that you do all of that. I'm so in admiration. (laughs) Let's talk about the record that you just made with our friend Billy. So you put out a single. Mm -hmm. And how's that going? It's going great, I think. I mean, how do you ever know? But I love the song. I love how it came out. And I feel like it's timely, which is why we decided to release it now for the rest of the album to be ready. I love being on socials and seeing you hanging on a moon. (laughs) Every time I see it, it makes me smile. Thank you. I love it, too. I went to this guy, Patrick Larney, who made my last album cover. He designed that. I loved it. So cool. And it also blinks. I don't know how you do that. Oh, Scott did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Your talented visual and musical and comedian husband, everything in one. He put his special sauce in it. It's so cool. Very good boots too. So you're still finishing it? Yeah, it's been easier now that both of our kids are in school. But for a while there, everyone had kids at home during the day. So the only time we had was after dinner. So a lot of the album was made between 6 and 10 p.m. That's discipline. Yeah. And you're in the neighborhood, so you can just roll over to a studio. Yeah, less than a mile away. So sometimes I get some of my steps in by just walking over. Like if you had to make an album during a global pandemic, (laughs) so great. I mean, I can walk there. Um, I was vaccinated in December. I got my first shot in December because I'm a doctor and Billy actually had COVID in November. So um, it was such a safe, we still wore masks and are socially distanced, but like it was as safe as it could be. And it was just the two of us in his home studio together. So it was COVID safe. It was just logistically easy because we both were in the same situations with our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like sort of a much more free process than any of my other albums in that we didn't really have any time pressure because I wasn't paying for studio time. Last album, we had three days at Sound Emporium to record the whole thing Mm -hmm. Uh, just because it cost a lot of money and that's what I could afford. And so the whole thing, I mean, it was great and so much fun, but it went by in a flash. I almost, you know, a couple months later, it was hard to believe it even happened. But this one, I had no agenda. I had no sound in mind even really. I just wanted to have fun and record the songs and just see what happened. So we've had fun experimenting with different things and just kind of letting it roll out the way it wants to roll out. That sounds like a nice, comfortable hang. I always think it's easier to do music when you don't have that pressure that whatever you come up with that moment is you know, you can experiment more and and things end up sticking anyway, because you're just in a calmer 
more right. race. There's a balance, of course, because if you don't have a time pressure and you're like way up in your head, you could just never finish. Yeah. But I don't think either of us are really in that headspace. So I feel like we've actually finished things pretty quickly, but just in a relaxed way. Just throw some paint on the canvas, see how it is. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it's really fun. So how close are you to having it finished? Well, it's funny because we're mixing a bunch of songs, but then there are others that really aren't that close at all. Yeah. Um, the guy who we have mixing it is also in Nashville. So we figured since we were close on a bunch of songs, um, we'll just send them to him. So I think we have now six or seven that are being mixed, mm -hmm. but I think we recorded 15 or 16. I've just had so many songs to record. So we recorded a whole bunch. When did so you write them? There were some of them that I had before the pandemic started. And then yeah. I probably wrote eight or nine during the pandemic just by myself. How do you find that you write on your own? I hadn't done it in a long time. I mean, I had never co-written before I moved to Nashville. I wrote my first three albums by myself. But then coming to Nashville, I've embraced songwriting with other people for a number of reasons. One, I feel like we always feel like we have so much to learn. And I just wanted to take advantage of the amazing writers here, just hone my skills. And then also when I moved here, I was seven months pregnant and then had two babies within 20 months of each other. So I was just in it deep and it was hard to find time and discipline to just sit down by myself. I had no idea how I was feeling. I just was trying not to step on Legos and, you know, take out poopy diapers into the trash can outside and dishwasher. I mean, that was like foremost in my head. So I feel like it was the way I defended my creativity was to just get it on the books. I'm meeting someone and I, I I'm, I'm not a flake. So if I say that I'm going to do something, I do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's enough to make me show up for a writing session that inevitably all those writing sessions when my kids were really young, I was so tired. All I wanted to do was sleep for a year, you know? So I would always dread it on some level Yeah, going to it. But then I was always so happy and excited after because you, you get to express a part of yourself and it feels so good. Um, and it helped me just be less precious about my songwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't have to be a hit song every time. It's just, good to, you know, keep practicing. So I was terrified to write a song by myself when the pandemic started. I was completely frozen for like a month. I just had no emotions. I had no desire to write a song. I had no connection to music. I just was so fro. I think I was just so overloaded emotionally that I just couldn't even get there. But it was like, I kept taking these long walks and runs and I just lyrics kept popping into my head. So eventually I just bit the bullet and I sat down and wrote this one song and then it just kind of started a flood of a bunch of songs. That's great. So your single is called Another New Normal. Mm -hmm. The word another is interesting in it. There were new normals before. Yeah. What are some of the new normals before that were shocking at the time? Well, like med school, mm -hmm. <laughs> residency, you know, um, getting married, having kids, all of those things are big seismic changes in your life. Yeah. Um, and when I sat down to write that song, it was only like a month into the pandemic. And I think it was April 9th or something or April 5th. And I just was like, I was escaping for a minute away from my kids who, who I was doing quote unquote homeschool with. Mm -hmm. There were only four in five or four and six at the time. So I didn't really feel much pressure to do real school, but I had to do something to keep us like structured and busy. So we had made a little school schedule and I was doing it with them, but I snuck away into my bedroom while they were busy with something. And I just was reflecting on how, yeah, this is a big thing to get used to, but 
isn't there always something like, when do you ever feel like you've just like settled into a groove and you can actually stay there? That never happens to me. I feel like every time I'm settling into a groove, something happens and I have to make an adjustment. I'm with you a hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. So I'm wondering, okay, so you were born in Canada, but then you Mm -hmm. moved to Boston. And at what point did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? Well, my parents are both doctors. They both love their careers. So I think that seed was always planted. I was always good at math and science. That just kind of came more naturally to me than the humanities. And my sister decided to be pre-med. And then I went to college and... um, Yeah. And I just, I think between my sister and my parents and I was a biophysical chemistry major. So I was already doing some of those requirements. I think the seed was planted when I was really little, but then, you know, in college, I realized that that's what I wanted to do. It's a good fit for me because I do love math and science, but I'm such a people person Mm -hmm. and I love the idea of service and of helping people. So it kind of combines all of those things. And music came after, or was it there first? It was always there, but I think because my parents are doctors, not that they ever said I couldn't be a musician, but I didn't even think that it was an option for me to do music professionally or write it. I don't know. I just never even thought that was an option, but I just love to sing and I, I just would obsess over music from a very young age, but I didn't even, it just didn't even seem like an option to me to be a musician. Yeah. So that came much later. So I ended up going to Berkeley College of Music for a summer. They had this like summer performance camp that I went to just for a summer before I started med school. And I just loved it so much. I felt such joy just being immersed in music and completely terrified to lose that feeling when I started med school. And I didn't really know what to do with that information. (laughs) But one of my music teachers said, you know what, Susie, you're good at more than one thing and you're lucky for that. Go be a doctor and you'll figure out how to fit in music later. So I just, throughout med school and residency and fellowship, I just fit in music wherever I could. I got a guitar and started teaching myself some chords and I would play at some open mic nights around Boston during med school. Um, I was in a local production of Hair. Wow. Where we did do the full Monty. And um, I was in a cover band during residency, which was so much fun. And then I moved to Philly for my fellowship And I didn't really have any sort of music community at all and didn't have time to find one because I was working so much. And then after I finished the really labor intensive part of my fellowship, I went into the lab to get a master's degree and had my nights and weekends free for the first time, like, you know, in 11 years or something or 10 years. And so I started totally obsessing over music, going to see all the local shows and getting to know all these local Philly musicians And then eventually just made a friend at the gym who played guitar. And so we got together to jam and I sang him a song and he was like, Susie Brown, why are you not writing songs with how you sing? And I was like, well, he's like, I can't imagine you have nothing to say. And I was like, well, of course I have something to say. I just don't want to write something that sucks. (laughs) I was so afraid to write something terrible that it just stopped me from writing it all. (laughs) Don't be such a perfectionist. I was so afraid to write something terrible that it stopped me from writing something at all. And he said, well, of course you're going to write something that sucks. Everyone does. You just don't play those ones for other people. (laughs) Exactly. Which is so true. So that was the perfect thing to say to me. 
is to call me out of my perfectionism, how that was making me frozen. And so soon after that, I had this boyfriend and we broke up and I was feeling really blue. And I just said to myself, you know what, Susie Brown, if you can't write a song when you're feeling like this, you'll never write a song. (laughs) So I wrote my first song and I went and played it at this open mic night in Philly. I didn't tell anyone I knew. I didn't even own a guitar strap. I had never played the guitar standing up, so they had to find a stool for me to sit on. It was terrible. I was shaking like a leaf, um, but I couldn't. It was just like crack for me. I couldn't stop. So I just started writing more and more songs. I kept going back to this open mic night, and then they invited me to do this like best of Fergie's open mic night show during Oktoberfest a few months later. So I played my first show. And then I had gotten to know so many local Philly musicians that they started, they said, oh, you, you play? Oh. And then they started letting me open for their little shows. And, you know, six months later, I was playing like 10 shows a month just in and around Philly um, and just loving it. And that was the last year of my master's degree. And I made the decision to finish my degree, finish my fellowship, and then um, just work part-time and play music. So that summer, right after I finished, was when I made my first EP. And then off I went to the races. You really got into the schedule of the two-week-on Susie musician, two-week-on Susie cardiologist. Um, I took the summer off between when I finished my training and started my first job and just worked so hard on my music, just promotion stuff for my first EP and booking a tour and all that stuff. And my first job, the schedule was a little different than it is here at Vanderbilt. So I worked, I think one week a month was full time. And then the other ones, I was either two or three days. So it was a little different, but I continued that for a couple of years and then toured on the weekends and when I wasn't working and then made my first full length album in 2010. And that's when I met Scott was when I was making that album. In Philly. Mm -hmm. You met at a wedding. We actually met for the first time in this studio where I was making my first album, my first full length. Um, He walked through to borrow something and I was there making my record and we were briefly introduced. And then, and then the next day we were at a wedding together. Yeah. So I want to go back. I want to go back to hair. (laughs) What made you, um, be in theater and why that one? Well, it was a theater group that was made of all the Harvard grad schools, mm-hmm. the med school, the dental school, the school of public health. So I knew about it, you know, and it wasn't, I don't know, it was easily accessible and everyone else had crazy schedules just like me. And I loved the music and it was a way to sing. That's great. Yeah. So that's a wild, you know, just a wild thing to put in the middle of med school. But I can understand the desire for it because it's the exact opposite of everything else that you're dealing with all day long. Exactly. I'm still Facebook friends with some of the people I was in that play with. (laughs) Yeah. So I just want to ask you more about this new normal. How has it impacted your life in terms of Mm -hmm. the things that you used to do? Obviously, playing live is one of them. Are you feeling pretty, like, you know, closed in? I have felt, like, until recently, just, I keep saying frozen, but that's the way I felt, just frozen. I just paralyzed. I don't think I sent an email out to my mailing list for nine months. I couldn't get myself to post on social media not a single live stream for probably nine months. I just couldn't, I don't know. I had nothing left emotionally to share or give to anyone. Mm -hmm. I was writing songs, so I was expressing it, but I just, I couldn't share it. I just felt paralyzed. 
So I've done a terrible job with my music career this last year, but it was just for survival. Work was so incredibly stressful and having my kids not in school was so stressful. And between those two, I, I just had nothing left to give to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've been vaccinated and since the numbers are better and since my kids are back in school, I feel more sane. So I've been able to be a little more outward. The heaviness is lifting. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the election is over. Just there are a bunch of things that were really, really stressful that I feel like have improved. Absolutely. I think we were all there with you on all of that. Yeah. Except maybe not the kids for all of us. Yeah. My kids were home for 11 months. Home for 11 months. And we can't do play dates unless they're outside. And that's hard to do when it's cold or raining or, yeah. So it was really, really hard. Well, I'm really happy to hear that things are better. Thank you. I'm happy too. I definitely feel lighter. And just more sane. <laughs> yeah, I, so I want to ask you about under the surface that phrase. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about where that came from and what you're saying about yourself and the rest of the world and other people with that? Well, for myself, you can ask Scott. I've learned to really have a poker face no matter what else is going on in my life. And I think that's largely because of my medical training. Because when you're a doctor, you come last. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if you just broke up with someone. It doesn't matter if someone died. It doesn't matter if you have a stomach ache. It doesn't matter if your water heater exploded and your house flooded that morning. I mean, none of that matters. You come last. You just have to suck it up and go do your job at work and everyone else comes first. So Scott and Scott grew up in kind of a family where they really show everything on their sleeve. So even if I tell him I'm having a hard time, he doesn't really believe me unless I act it which I usually don't do. And it just, you know, when I wrote that song under the surface, it just, I feel like a lot of people have so much going on under the surface that you just can't tell. You know, you just have no idea the battles people are fighting just under the surface. I feel like, you know, when someone cuts you off when you're driving or is rude to you in a store, I mean, you have no idea what's going on with them, you know? It's a good thing to remember. It's a very good thing to remember. Yeah. And that's also a very tough thing to come last. Mm -hmm. And you know, because you're a mom, moms come last too. Yeah. Everyone's needs come before your own. So, you know, I'm last at work. I'm last at home. I'm not like throwing a pity party for myself. I'm so, so incredibly lucky. And I've learned to sort of defend some me time. But it's, you know, the default, it would be really easy to fall into a situation where your needs will really last all the time. Well, yeah, this is something if I'm around my kids, I can't really expect, you know, I don't really feel like a cool person by the end of the day, (laughs) you know? Oh, I know. So many things about me are invisible. It's important to go to sources where you know you're going to be refueled. I know. Yeah. So the whole family thing, you live with somebody who is an artist as well. How do you balance that? Scott is the most naturally creative person I've ever met in my life. I mean, he's not distracted by anything. The sky could be falling and he would just poop out like three songs. He's a freak of nature. So mm-hmm. he needs my encouragement to be creative. He's just, he needs my encouragement to load the dishwasher. Yeah. Like he could just be creative all day, every day and forget about everything else. So that's a good thing in a way, because, you know, he takes care of that need of his by himself. But I think the challenge for me is to defend time for me to have my creativity because he's, that's his default. 
Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to just be in the position where I'm filling in the gaps all the time. And he's creative, but I never get my creative time. But that's my fault when that happens, you know, because if I tell him I, I want to do this or I'll do that, he'll always say, okay, yeah, go, go, you know, but I have to speak up. Yeah. So, but it was fine. Like when I was making the album, I just said, I'm going to Billy six to 10 every day this week. And it, and, and it was so he made it work. Yeah. State what I need and, and just do it. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, you are like a mentor for people, your example, for people who think, oh, I can't do it all. I can't be a mother and an artist. Well, I can't be a doctor and an artist. I can't be a doctor and a mother. All those negatives that people Mm -hmm. tell themselves or other people tell them, you're walking living proof that none of it is true. But that's true for my life too. And it's not easy. I'm full of conflict all the time about, you know, every time there's a meeting at work that I can't go to or that I don't go to because it's not a week I'm at work, I get a pang. It's my own fault I get the pang, but that's where our heads go thinking, what are they thinking about me? You know, I'm such a slacker. I have to battle all those demon thoughts that can pop into my head. I've had you know, um, more than 10 years of practice battling those demons, all those thoughts that could make me feel bad. So that's hard when I'm not there for certain things. Luckily, the way my practice works at work, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm um, letting my patients down. Because when I'm not there, there are other people assigned to the same patients. So there's never a time where I'm unavailable when I need to be. So at least I don't have that as a problem. But you know, my almost seven-year-old is just, she loves her mommy and it's hard for her when I'm working for two weeks and I leave at like 6.15 in the morning and I come home at 6.30 at night. It's hard for her. She cries and I miss their whole days, you know, when I'm doing that. So that's kind of a rub and a struggle. And then with the music, I mean, I wish I had more time for it. I do. Um, I just don't have as much time as most artists do to give to it. And that's just bothers me. It just bothers me thinking about all the lost potential, you know, which songs could I have written if I had more time to practice? How much better a guitar player would I be? What kind of shows would I be booking if I had more time to tour? You know, you can just go down those rabbit holes. So it takes a lot of discipline to manage my thoughts about all that. Because on the flip side, I have this super incredibly fulfilling career that I absolutely love. I love it. It, it just gives me a sense of place in the world just on an existential level when the whole world was falling apart last year, like that, that's a place where I belong. That's a, it's just a reason that I exist, you know, because I have these skills to help other people when they're sick. Um, I love that job. I'm so grateful for that job. And my kids, are you kidding me? They are like the absolute joy of my existence. My life would have no meaning without my children. I mean, they have brought me more joy and meaning than anything ever, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the music, I mean, same with the music. I, I love writing songs. I love singing. I love making records. And yeah, I do it on a smaller scale than some people, but I do it and I love it. And my life would just be so much less complete without it. So yeah, there are rubs. It's not like I feel like I have this perfect balance all the time and it's just a joy and it's so easy. It's hard. I have to defend it all the time, but I try and just, you know, manage my thinking so that I can look on the bright side. Well, I'm really grateful. I wanted people to hear you. I wanted people to know you. Thank you. Because you're one of the coolest people I know, and you're making this great music with the very talented Billy Harvey. Um, Hold on. 
You want to say hi to Louise real quick? So big. Little pigtails. Yeah. Yeah. I miss you. Aww. Like you miss you. Snuggle. Snuggles. These are the best snuggles. <laughs> Sweet girl. Mm. I, I'm going to give your mommy back to you. Let me just finish up and um, I'll be right out, okay? I'm going to make some supper, okay? Okay, do a quick cheek to cheek and then let me finish up, okay? What's your favorite song? Um, like all of them. <laughs> all of them. Like all of the songs. Yeah, but what's your favorite group? Like, who's your favorite singer? Casey Musgrave. Yeah, yeah she loves her Casey. Mommy, we did something bad. What'd you do? We broke one of those That's okay, honey. It's just a thing. <laughs> Um, the other thought about balancing many things is sometimes you have to be okay with a B minus job. You can't do an A job in everything. There are certain things that you're just going to have to accept a B minus on and that has to be okay. And if you have so many things on your plate that you can't do at least a B minus job, you probably shouldn't do that thing. That's kind of the way you probably have to let that thing go. Yeah. Perfectionism is one thing because it, it has this thing about it, which is very negative, but to have an expectation of excellence from yourself. For everything. Like my house is at a B minus, like in terms of how clean I keep it, B minus on a good day, you know, yeah. I'm lucky I can keep toilet paper in the house, you know, but that's just not my priority. If I, if I had a perfectly clean house, I would never write a song. So I just have to let that go. Does it bother me? Definitely. Yeah. But yeah. I just have to make that choice. And like with school stuff, I'm such a mess keeping track of all those emails and what at forms and what's happening at school. I mean, I'm a, I'm a hot mess, but I just, it's not that I don't care, but she's fine. It's just, I don't know. That's just not my priority. She gets to school. She gets all her assignments done, but like, I'm not the super PTO mom is what I'm saying. You know, all the extra stuff beyond what's absolutely necessary. I'm not putting my time there. I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be better for the kids too, because I call it New York, you know, Brooklyn parenting. You don't have the time to helicopter and be hovering over every bit of homework. It's like, did you do it? Okay, well, come back to me when you've done it. I think it's better yeah. for them. I know it is. I think it is too. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great. I'm proud of you and excited to Thank see you. And I wish we could talk more than just booking an interview. We're planning an indoor get together. So excited for it. That's going to be great. I hope I see you in person this year. I know. I know. Me too. We'll make it happen. Yeah. That would be great. Glove to everybody. All right. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Susie, for sharing how to prioritize your creativity. Come on. Join us next time for a conversation with John Platt, otherwise known as Big John, chairman and CEO of Sony ATV, the world's largest publishing company. John is a mover and shaker, and in talking to him, I learned how he lives his life and career by some guiding principles that have earned him the respect of his peers and propelled him to where he is today. This was a rare opportunity to hear stories and insights from his over 25-year career in music publishing, which includes stories of Alicia Keys and Jay-Z, Waterfalls, TLC, Beyonce, and more. Hey, and if you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you stream. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.